latest USC football headlines. Who are the greatest defensive players by position of the modern USC football era? And of course, viewer questions and panel answers. Everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to a special edition of We Are SC's Inside the Trojan Huddle. Inside the Trojan Huddle is a game-like panel discussion with We Are SC columnists and staff writers. We start with the pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle and give you the latest USC Trojans football news. First, let's meet this week's panelists. Mark Culkin, We Are SC columnist who writes the Monday Morass, Gay or Nay, Sunday takeaways, in addition to regular season practice reports. Chris Arledge, former William Jewell College DB and team captain, and we are SC columnist who writes the popular column Musings with Arledge. Kevin Bruce, former all-conference linebacker and team captain for the 1975 USC Trojans. We are SC columnist who also writes defensively and offensively speaking after every USC game. Greg Katz, that's me, your host and moderator of Inside the Trojan Huddle, and a weekly WMRSC columnist who writes the obvious and the not so obvious and IMHO Sunday. Now, before we kick off our defensive edition, special edition, here are some of the latest USC football news. On Monday it was the last day of recruiting's dead period, which means marches upon us and the recruiting window for on-campus visitations is now open. On Saturday, head coach Lincoln Riley took his team, staff, and family members to one of the beautiful local Southern California beaches with team members wearing t-shirts that read Trojans Family Football, which was bordered by a couple of graphic palm trees. There were a number of activities that included some team beach volleyball, body surfing, surfing with surfboards, and members of the team running on the sand by the edge of the water, the weather, blue skies, and the low 70s. The Trojans are expected to hire NFL veteran assistant Will Harringer as a senior offensive analyst to work with USC quarterbacks. The hiring of Harringer, who worked with the Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, figures to be a hiring and will bring NFL tutelage to USC quarterbacks, especially Caleb Williams. That's an NFL presence, which was important to the Williams family during the transfer recruiting process for Caleb. And still no official word on the dates for spring ball, but the general thought is that spring practice will begin the week following the academic spring break, which runs from March 13th through March 20th. Therefore, the week of March 21st seems to be the likely start date. And finally, friends, we are SCs inside the Trojan Huddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. And we appreciate and encourage you, those of you that are watching on sites like YouTube, to click on the red subscriber and like buttons. It's greatly appreciated and it's free. All right, that's the opening bell. It's time for the opening kickoff on our special first quarter question. Panel, in your opinion, who is the greatest defensive down lineman of the modern USC football era? And a reminder, all questions will define modern era, at least uh, this segment, uh, as being from 1950 to the present. As always, we lead off with the great Mark Culkin. Who is it, Mark? You know, Greg, I, I love these type of questions. Um, they're hard, but they're they're hard because there's like no wrong answer. And it takes some research because you have to search your brain. 
So, you know, for me, you know, you're asking me to like choose between Philippe's and Cantor's. It's like, again, there's no wrong answer. Let's just go eat. Um, I'm just going to list off some players. And I, I think I did come to one final conclusion. You know, Fat Matt, uh, Fat Pat Mike Patterson, he has a soft spot in my heart. You know, he had that touchdown scoop and against UCLA, just him running towards the end zone with his teammates chasing after him. Um, that whole 2004, around that area, that defensive line, you know, you had him. Um, you had, was it, Lojack, Frosty Rucker. I mean, that, that line was loaded. So those are just some of the players. Um, but then you really start narrowing it down. You had Sean Cody, Leonard Williams. Um, those guys have to be mentioned. But neither one of them were the number two overall draft pick like Daryl Russell. You know, rest in peace. Um, where do you put Willie McGinnis? Is he a line? Is he an outside linebacker? Is he a down lineman? So, you know what? I can't decide. Um, let's just call Uber Eats and, and you guys decide for me. There it is. Let off with Culkin, who refused to give an answer, Greg. Okay, the might the white mamba is fired well, up. I can see the team. Go, go, go get him. We got we go got to treat him, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We gotta treat that as a hostile witness. I mean, come okay, on. you want me to give one? Yeah, yeah. Willie McGinnis. What name is the yeah, best okay. name? What Willie McGinnis? Okay. Willie okay. was fantastic. That, that's a good choice. Uh he's an outside line. I don't know how you came to that happened. conclusion, but we'll you no, you, but see, he he played both, and that's why we had a little a lot of guys have played both, so. I get your I get your point. So it's a good choice. Willie's fantastic, and having lived in Boston for eight years, I got to tell you what the guy was fantastic, and I knew him personally. He's a great guy. So there you well, go. Right, what, let's, position let's, did he play, what, what position did he play in New England? He played uh, outside linebacker and inside uh, down defensive uh, end in a nine technique. Okay. You want so another right. answer? All right. Let, let's uncoil the Mamba here, Chris. What do you think? Huh. So I'm going to show a little bit of bias. I have a bias towards my late 1980s guys because I, uh, the, the, the first USC teams that I really loved were those Rodney P teams in the, uh, in the late 80s. Uh, and so I'm going to choose one. I'm going to choose a guy from, uh, from one of those teams. Mark didn't, uh, Mark didn't mention him. I'm going to choose Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan, who had 20 sacks as an interior defensive lineman in a 12-game season. That is unbelievable. And he had four against UCLA his uh, his last year there he's a two-time all-american uh there are a ton of guys you could pick and i think i'm going a little bit under the radar with tim ryan but he's my guy tim ryan's my choice well and that is going to take us to uh and welcome back by the way to kevin bruce who was on Thank assignment you. uh yeah. kevin you're going to represent uh the uh group of the 70s and 80s on forward so it'd be interesting to see what your take is that yeah, I'm, I'm representing 1960 on. That's kind of my break point. I, I didn't go back to the 50s. There was a lot of great players then too, but, you know, um, we lost our uh, perspective a little bit. 1960 on, I picked uh, the best defensive players. I got like 38 right now. Out of that, there are some of the best depending on certain situations. And, you know, Mark was right. I mean, look, it depends on down, up, you know, inside, you know, what technique we're playing, what, type of defense okay all very interesting i gotta tell you about one defensive lineman whose name i haven't heard is gary jeter 
Gary Jeter was a monster along the line of scrimmage. And if you don't believe me, ask Woody Hayes. Well, you can't ask Woody, but ask some of the guys that played against him uh, in the, the various Rose Bowls. Um, he uh, ate him up alive, and it showed. And uh, did a number on some UCLA guys, too, which is never a bad thing. It's considered a best practice, frankly. Um, fantastic uh, player. Uh, but not my, uh, frankly, not my choice for best uh, defensive lineman. By the way, what is fascinating to me is of the 38 players that I chose into the various positions, the fewest number of outstanding, you know, game changer, you know, uh, folks was a defensive line, believe it or not. Yeah, we had a lot more other positions, whether it was secondary or, in my view, right, and uh, secondary or um, – Linebackers. That said, I too had Tim Ryan, by the way. He was like like one of my faves. Um, George Achika is a name that I don't think anybody has come up with. George is uh, famous for lots of things, but just, you know, ask UCLA. They'll, they'll, they'll remember. And uh, this, this, this crowd will remember too. And, uh, and, the, and the kicking game. Cedric Ellis is another one that you know, the name uh, needs to be out there because said was uh, quite a player and uh, he took care of the a gap uh, both sides beautifully. So he played his position very well. Some of the guys, and this is where I would put Leonard Williams. Some of the guys were really outstanding. Leonard Williams cat was just a tremendous athlete and, and good attitude. And he had a good motor and all those kinds of things, but, Clay had him all over the dang field doing weird stuff. And every once in a while, they drop him into pass coverage, too. I mean, my gosh, I, my brain, brain would explode. And frankly, I had to deal with that. So um, yeah, as far as my absolute, uh, you know, hey, so out of that crowd, who, uh, who might be my best uh, pick, um, I'm going with Sean Cody. Sean just ripped up the front line, um, made big plays. He's a good guy and I like him. So there you go. You know, that was a great dissertation. I felt like I was watching some recruits select between five or 10 hats and he was putting them on and taking them off and putting it on, taking it off. I would have never guessed that you were going to say Sean Cody, but it's certainly a worthy, worthy choice. No doubt yeah. about that. Um, all right. I, I'm not going to hit on all the ones that you all said, because I think all of them are very worthy of, you know, defending your case. I'm personally going to go, with uh, Leonard Big Cat Williams, uh, two-time All-American. Uh, I agree with uh, Kevin. They put him all over the place, which was not his fault. But wherever he was, he was really could control a game. And uh, the thing I liked about him is he got better from his junior to his senior year. And maybe that's why he was a first-round draft pick of the New York Jets. But you couldn't go wrong with any of them that you that you guys have come up with. And it certainly was worthy of uh, discussion, all of them. The only thing I will add uh, it to Mark, uh, Mark, how can you possibly compare Felipe's restaurant to Canner's? Felipe's are French dip sandwiches and Canner's is a Jewish delicatessen serving corned beef. How do you come to that conclusion? Greg, when was the last time you were at Canter's? You know, that's an excellent question. I would say probably two years ago. Yeah, well. It's nothing more than a glorified sandwich shop. It's, man, you go there, you, you, yeah, you go there for the atmosphere. So if I'm going to compare sandwiches, I can't go wrong. So 
you know, that's where we're at right now. I don't know. The Dino still has a great sandwich. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I can tell yeah, you. See, that, that's just one of 38 that we could probably throw out there, Kevin. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a topic for a halftime question. It is. Actually, it is. Yeah, it, it, I agree. I'm, unfortunately, we're in some very serious questions uh, this week, but uh, that one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember. We're going to get back to this one. Uh, although I will tell you right now, Catella Deli is better than Canners, but that's a see agree zero argument. I don't want you agreeing with me more. That's uh, I have to question my my own self esteem. Yeah, you just lost credibility. There it comes. Right? There it comes. You just lost. There it comes. <laughs> here it comes. Why are you sitting here? It comes. You guys are going at each other. I'm sitting here quietly for like a minute or two. I say one thing and you jump all over me, Craig. Come on. Oh, People are going to think you don't like me again. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If I say something negative. I know I'm going to get roasted on the YouTube comments. Well, the, you Chris going dark for uh, two minutes is a personal best. So there we go. I was going to say, you know, I'm better than us. Uh, I say a minute and a half. That's that, that that's might really be when he's the most dangerous, though. Too probably. Oh, so, oh probably he, just, so. he he's just loading up. That's all that is. <laughs> all right. Second quarter panel. We start the second quarter with this one. Who is the greatest inside linebacker of the modern football era? Kevin, you are a renowned all-conference linebacker, so I'm going to really take uh, great stock in what your answer is. So share it with us. Yeah, you know, um, we've had a lot of good inside linebackers, some of which were part-time, some of which were full-time. I was full-time. Not that I was great. I was good, but never great. Um, I played with some greats. And uh, where did you play predominantly, Kevin? I played Mike and Will. We used to call him Wanda. We had like female names for the weak side, and he can't do that anymore. So there was not, it's now <laughs> Will, but it was the Wanda was the uh, weak side, and Mike was the strong side. I typically played Mike. I'm going to petition to bring back Wanda. I like that much better. Go, go for it. Yeah, it's easy to remember, too. Hey, listen, um, some of the inside guys that were fantastic, Adrian Young, which is, I patterned. Uh, my game a lot after uh, Adrian Young. Similar body types, um, you know. Uh, I'd like to have three interceptions against Notre Dame, but I think it was three, maybe four, whatever he did. He just he blew him up, and uh, it was fantastic. Not the greatest, but boy, was he he was something else. And if you talk to teams that we'd like to pound in the ground, Notre Dame would tell you that he he pretty dang good. Um, Others that more than honorable mention kind of guys, you know, uh, Chip Banks, pretty good on the inside and uh, good closing speed, um, ferocious, actually. And uh, he got guys that were looking out of their ear holes a lot. So that was, hey, I'm good on that. A good hit is like eh, nice. We got Ray Ray. Ray Ray was just, he's a physical presence, um, not a uh, uh, super uh, well-positioned linebacker, but he made up for it with just sh sheer ferocity. I loved it. Uh, if he did hit you, it was uh, pretty amazing. We all talked about, and when we were going talking about UCLA game, the the whack he put on the quarterback. I forget the quarterback's name. Patrick Allen. Yeah, he forgot his own name too. Oh, by the way, but he <laughs> he finished the game, so I give him credit for that. Um, there's some others that. Uh, Clearly, are pretty darn good. Chris Claiborne, how about you and your Seau? Rest in peace. Not too bad. Jack Del Rio, still uh, still in the game, and he's in the bigs. Some of the uh, more hybrid types, um, 
I don't know where you put Kenichi Adusi, uh, but if I think I still said that right or close to it. Um, he was he, he was a game changer, and he did. Frankly, his play uh, gave us the uh, championship against Stanford. Clay Helton's single only championship. Lest I, you know, never mind. Uh, Matt Grotegood, he uh, was a safety playing linebacker, did a heck of a job. He, he was he was just an absolute nightmare to a quarterback. He was always popping up in places he shouldn't be because he knew where to go and uh, caused a whole lot of issues uh, as, as a result. Um, Joey Browner, good ball player, and um, made, made a lot of uh, uh, things happen. And at, it was one of the tops in terms of fumble recoveries, oh, by the way, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and um, played mostly on the inside, not 100%, but mostly inside. Uh, which brings me to uh, somebody that I think you guys could all anticipate that the best inside linebacker we've ever put on the field. And it, it's, it is close. There's a lot, we put a lot of good players out there, but Richard Wood was just, he, he was a prototype and the first of his kind, high, high rate of speed. His close was incredible. Closing speed was incredible. His uh, pass ability for pass coverage was um, always, it's not that it was underestimated. It was just um, not recognized publicly more about the, some of the run tackles. Cause there's obviously when you blow something up, it look, looks cool and you get, the, you get the props for that, but his ability to uh, handle uh, pass coverage was something else. I played um, next to him. So I, uh, uh, I can tell you that I loved it because everybody ran in my direction. So uh, he was uh, the first uh, three-time All-American in the history of USC football, which goes back to, as I recall, 1888. I think that's right. So Richard's my guy. Richard, three-time All-American from Elizabeth, New Jersey. Absolutely right. There you go. One of the big, big-time players in the history of USC football. Mark, your perspective on the inside linebacker. Yeah, so Batman wasn't just a comic book character. He was, he was real. By the way, I never called him Batman. It was always Richard. Always Richard? Always Richard. And I guarantee you nobody Kevin. used the other. I guarantee you nobody used the four-letter name for him either. Yeah, so, but did, did Richard, excuse me, Mark, did, did Richard Wood like that name back then? Did he, did he kind of? Uh, he, was, he was okay with it. He, he never made it. Actually, he never made a big dang deal out of it one way or the other. His name was Richard. I called him Richard. It was cool. I called him Richard for three years, so it, it worked. All right, Mark, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I think everyone will agree that Kevin Bruce is probably the right answer. Um, <laughs> right. Even, hey, Kevin, even Kevin doesn't agree with that. Team captains, you know what? When when you were chosen as a team captain and you do have some of the accolades behind him, and yeah, I'm doing a little ass kissing, but I, it does you've Not earned right. a little bit of respect amongst your peers when you're when you're chosen team captain. So um, you know. Kudos. Uh, again, you know, we, we talked about all the different linebacker crossovers. So uh, again, this was, this should have just really been a first quarter, second quarter linebacker, you know, overtime type of thing. Um, if you were number 55, you were probably pretty good. So I, again, you know, Chris Claiborne, Junior Seau, 
um, you, you, the list goes on. You mentioned names. Um, you brought up Matt Grudegood. I think you mentioned Chip Banks. Uh, did Brian Cushing, Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews Jr. I mean, yeah. the diarrhea can just keep coming out of my mouth. So um, that's kind of a disgusting thought, Mark. It's, I said, did I not say verbal diarrhea? It's still disgusting, right? I thought Chris was going to barf on a, in, a, in a pail or something. Go, go right uh, in. Yeah, I'm just going to settle on Junior Seau. I, there's just, he was really, really good. Very special. Very, yeah, there you go. Thank you for perfect. Very special. All right, now I want to just say, because I, I really respect Chris and he's very specific and he, and he comes up with great stuff in backing up his selections. The question was inside linebacker. Now, Chip Banks was an outside linebacker. That doesn't mean that he wasn't a great player and you, and you shouldn't have heaped praise on him. And Junior Seau, I don't think, was really an inside linebacker per se. But I'm curious to find out what, what uh, Chris has to say in his choice. So go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to talk about Junior later because while in the NFL, he was primarily an inside guy, certainly with the Chargers. With USC, he was more of an edge guy. I want to talk about him in a bit. I want to bring up a couple of guys that uh, that haven't gotten any talk yet because um, there have been a lot of great choices, uh, but I think deserve it. Lofa Tatupu. Um, yeah. Lofa Tatupu was an extraordinary football player and kind of came out of nowhere despite his last name, right? He's a transfer from a smaller school. Nobody expects much of him. A little bit undersized, at least height-wise. Um, but like, like his uh, partner, uh, Matt Grudegood, unbelievably smart. Right. I mean, always knew where to be uh, was a terror uh, uh, run and pass. It seemed like that um, that uh, Orange Bowl game against Oklahoma. I think he knew uh, I think he knew where Adrian Peterson was going to be before Peterson did. And it was and, and his ability to to be in the right spot all the time was amazing. Uh, another guy, again, my my late 80s bias, Scott Ross was uh, he's he Scott Ross was not as good as some of these other guys. But he was a stud inside linebacker and a guy who uh, a guy who was going to shut you down, tackle to tackle, just a tough, tough dude. And I love that guy. Um, I went with uh, I went with Chris Claiborne and I went with Chris Claiborne because he was a big he was a big, powerful guy. Obviously, he started as a true freshman and he looked uh, from day one like he like he should have been playing in the NFL. Um, but the thing, um, and, um, and Kevin mentioned with Richard Wood, how good he was in pass coverage. Chris Claiborne was exceptional in, against the pass. He had, he had six interceptions his last year at USC, including two pick sixes. He was one of the few bright spots in that, uh, in that horrible uh, Paul Hackett era. Uh, and so I give him the nod over the other guys we've talked about, even though I think it's really close because there were so many good ones. All right. All right. So Chris, Chris Claiborne for uh, Chris uh, Arledge. Well, as painful as it is for me to say, I think that Chris is absolutely 100% correct. I picked uh, Chris uh, Claiborne, 1998. He's on the Pac-12 All-Century team. He's a, the only USC Butkus Award winner, first-round draft pick of the Detroit Lions. Uh, I, I would say in my many years of watching them, he, of course, the scheme has something to do with this, of course, but 
he could cover sideline to sideline. One game that I remember, I think it's Chris calling me on the phone here. He just wants to tell me he agrees with me. Uh, nonetheless, I'll continue to talk. Chris, I'll get back to Chris. Who is that? Nobody ever. It's the IRS. Don't worry about it. Oh, no, it's from unknown. This scares me. Somebody's already <laughs> hacking into our Zoom. All right, so let me just let me finish up by saying, Chris Claiborne had the ability to control a game. Uh, Chris Claiborne was a tremendous basketball player coming out of Riverside. Uh, he. Some people told me, well, he wasn't that good because look what happened in the NFL. Chris told me that he left the NFL because it was no longer fun. It was the no fun league for him, and he felt that rather than play a game that he so loved that it was a job now he didn't like it but he stayed true to his love of the game by doing what he goes into coaching and last we know of him he was at arizona state uh coaching linebackers there but no chris is absolutely 100 correct in my opinion that it is chris claiborne i can't think of another player that could control a game like he did i mean he didn't even play on good teams richard wood who i absolutely think is fantastic legendary player he played on some good teams. He was surrounded by good players. So for me, it's going to be Chris Claiborne. Uh, and hopefully soon, SC will get another Butkus Award winner uh, in my lifetime. So with that, let's go to halftime. Generally, halftime, we have a kind of a fun question. But uh, based on uh, the number of things that we want to cover today, I went with a, another no fun question. No fun questions today. Well, you're kind of the fun questions. You're you're the brevity oh. for the for the for the uh, telecast here and broad. Do I, do I amuse you, Greg? You know, Chris, you always amuse me. You are I'm a clown. No, no, no. You're not a clown. You're you're oh. you're kind. Of, I I don't even know what you're like. You're kind of like of your own kind, but well, well in all phases. So let me get to this question for you guys, uh, because it's something that you all touched on a little bit. Um, Outside linebacker, who is the greatest outside linebacker, forward slash, stand-up defensive end of the modern USC football era? Chris, you're on the clock. We've heard some of these names already. Uh, Willie McGinnis obviously has to get consideration. Um, uh, Dwayne Bickett and Jack Del Rio uh, deserve some consideration for this. Extraordinary outside, uh, outside linebackers. Uh, and there's some other names. I'm not going to say them all because the other guys want something to talk about. I'll tell you who the best is, though, of all time, and that's Junior Seau. And he didn't play as long at SC as a lot of other guys. He played less games. He missed his first year because of academic issues. He left after his junior season. But Junior Seau's junior year at USC, he was a force of nature. He continued to be that in the NFL for many years. The guy was, uh, the guy was just about unblockable. And... Um, uh, I think he had 19 sacks uh, uh, that junior year. And um, you're just not going to, if you were going to, if you're going to chisel a football player, it would look like Junior Seau. He was big. He was strong. He was powerful. He was fast. He was intense. He was everything you would want a football player to be. And uh, it may be that there are other guys who were as good. Maybe. I don't think there was anybody who was better. All right. Well, Kevin Bruce, is there somebody better? Look, uh, Junior, uh, you know, his likeness belongs in the shrine of the greatest. So I, there, there's no question about it. 
Uh, I would tell you that uh, Willie McGinnis uh, did a heck of a job uh, on the outside, both hand on the ground and uh, upright. So uh, I would, uh, and I would argue that that some of his um, career in the NFL uh, showed uh, others the same uh, determination that he had. And you know, look, it is a no fun league. I mean, yeah, fair enough. And guys make their decisions on whether to play and not to play for all kinds of reasons. I know I did. So whatever. But um, Junior Seau is, is a game changer, and it's just why I pointed out Richard Wood as well, because Richard was the first prototype inside linebacker with that kind of speed. And I would say that Junior Seau, both he, he did play a fair amount of inside as well, but in a, certain, a different kind of technique. But when he was on the edge, that was his best uh, use uh, of his skills. And the, the offense had to know where he was on every play. And that's the sign of uh, a defensive player, regardless of position, that is a game changer. And uh, where, wherever he was, they had to do something special because if they didn't, he would tear them up. So, yeah, Junior was very special. All right, we've got two for Junior Seau now. Uh, Mark, are you going to make it three? What's your viewpoint? No, I look. I picked Junior for for inside. I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with Willie McGinnis. From what I mentioned back, at, he played both equally proficient. And it's as Kevin just said in in, in his in, in his monologue. What he did at the NFL just solidified it for me. Um, he was just an amazing guy whether he was playing outside linebacker or playing defensive end um, and everybody else, we, we've talked about other names already. So I'm just going to keep it short and stick with Willie. Okay. Uh, I want to just mention a couple of names and then I'll give my, I won't make this long, but recognition to SC when they were in a 52 defense, Charlie Weaver and Jimmy yeah. Gunn. And I would be remiss not to also add Tim Rosovich. Uh, who was just devastating animal at a stand-up defensive end in a 52 defense. So, uh, you know, Charlie Weaver, we know from that legendary hit on Dennis Dummett in the 69 USC-UCLA game. Uh, Jimmy Gunn, unbelievable in the 67 game. And I think his ligaments were all torn up and he was still sacking uh, uh, Gary Beban. Uh, so uh, kudos to them. But my yeah. opinion... My opinion, as far as the outside linebacker, I don't know how you could not go with uh, Junior Seau. I think Junior Seau, for all the reasons that you all mentioned, uh, he's on the all Pac-12, all century team and a first round draft pick of the Chargers. And I might add, I tried not to personally look at what players did in the NFL, but appreciate what they did at USC, because sometimes I think that clouds all of our visions, because uh, you always remember these players that go to the NFL like Matt Leinart, I mean, who's, we, we talked about this last week, you know, the best quarterback uh, ever at, at USC, but, you know, was not a, a standout in the NFL, but that shouldn't take away from what he was as a college quarterback, which was almost the best of all time had they beaten Texas. All right, uh, before we move on, uh, begin the second half of our special defensive edition. Uh, reminder that you are watching or listening to WeRSE.com's Inside the Trojan Subtle. This week's WeRSC panelists include Mark Culkin, Chris Aldridge, uh, Arledge, excuse me, uh, Kevin Bruce, and uh, I'm Greg Katz. We encourage you to check out WeRSC.com, part of the On3 network, and become a subscriber to the best coverage of USC football. 
basketball and other Trojan athletics. Uh, and as a bonus for the curious, there is currently a free WeRSC seven day free trial to view our exclusive on three plus content, which includes analysis, breaking stories and data for USC football, basketball and the balance of USC athletics. Third quarter. Now, this is going to be a tough one, I think. Uh, we begin the second half kickoff in the third quarter with this question. Who is the greatest corner in USC modern history? Mark, we'll, we'll lead off with you. Actually, I'd like to hear Chris's opinion on this one first. He, he's going to be the, uh, the authority on the defensive back position. Okay, so that's one vote for me. Um, so, look. You have to make a judgment call as to where you're going to put the greatest defensive player in the history of USC football. And that's Ronnie Lott. Thank you. And I'm not going to argue, and I'm not going to argue that point. If all of the names we've talked about are extraordinary players. We're going to get some others, especially at the safety position. Ronnie Lott may be the greatest football player period in USC football history. And he's certainly the greatest defensive player. So, He's most known as a safety, particularly in the NFL, as a free safety. But he played, he played corner uh, at USC. He also played safety. In fact, he played corner in the NFL, too. He played everywhere. Wherever you put Ronnie Lott, he's the best guy. Um, I don't know that he is a modern corner in the sense that he, he's not a guy who's going to shut people down the way Deion Sanders would have. That wasn't really his game, although he was a good he was a good enough cover guy to make pro bowler as a corner in the nfl so yeah he was great um so I, i'm gonna say ronnie lott and i'm gonna say ronnie lott because there are a couple of other safeties i want to talk about and wherever i put lott he he blots out the sun so i'm gonna say ronnie lott i'm gonna give a um i'm gonna give a shout out to adori who was uh who was a fantastic athlete and and a thorpe award winner and a great football player and a great corner. I think, though, that Adoree was as much, I think Adoree's uh, Thorpe Award is as much a, a, a matter of his all-around excellence um, as a return man, uh, a guy you, you give spot duty to on offense, and he may take a short pass 65 yards. Um, and I think maybe, and I don't know that his corner play improved dramatically over time. I think he came in as a, as a true freshman, about as good a true freshman corner as you'll ever see. And I think he improved, but I don't know that he ever became the level of cover guy that, uh, that I expected him to be. Um, that sounds like a criticism. It's not. He's a legend. He's, he's fantastic. Um, but, um, but I think uh, in order to protect my safety picks, I'm putting Ronnie at corner, and, uh, and that's my guy. Well, you know, that, that's interesting because that is a tough one. Even when I saw it, I said, well, is he a corner? Is he a safety? So I think that the way you presented it was the right way to do it. Uh, but I have, I have a sneaking suspicion. I know the answer to this next to what Kevin's going to say. But Kevin, are you going to surprise me? Well, we'll see. Um, yeah, look, uh, I park Ronnie Lott. Uh, actually, I had him in the safety category, but he does uh, as – Chris pointed out he just cast such a long shadow that, uh, you know, it, it, it um, you know, blocks out, frankly, a lot of other folks from getting some recognition in our, uh, in our work here. Um, in terms of cornerbacks, it's pretty interesting because Adore was uh, 
very effective. I think Chris is right. He got a lot of recognition for his other efforts, uh, running offense, slot, slot back, uh, fly, running fly sweeps occasionally, the one or two game we'd ever run. Uh, and his, uh, his special teams play was clearly, it would drive coaches crazy, frankly. And uh, he, did a great, he did a great job. So um, I think that, that, get, that also casts a shadow with respect to his cornerback play because his quarterback play was, was good. And um, generally he did, was effective in terms of shutting folks down. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough call. He, he did a great job. I think a true cornerback that, that uh, handled both run and pass, because I wouldn't consider Dory Jackson a great run cornerback, right? Um, was Danny Reese. Danny, all he did was lead the team in interceptions um, as a cornerback and um, in, in a time when, you know, there was like maybe 20 passes a game, 25, unless you're playing uh, Oregon at the time. And uh, Danny uh, could make that happen, but he also was a ferocious hitter and could uh, manage the uh, run game very well. And the, the game was more of a run game at that time. And uh, so um, I'm not going to apologize. I think Danny is a heck of a played as a heck of a quarterback, cornerback. All right. So you say Danny Reese. Uh, all right. You know, we've left out some names. Brian Kelly was a, was a good uh, corner. Uh, probably was, was an interception away against Florida State from uh, making a major upset in the Coliseum. Uh, was a fine uh, cornerback. Uh, Nate Shaw, going back to the uh, early 60s, with All-America defensive back. Uh, but I'm going to say that of all of the ones that I saw when you take into what all of you said into consideration, surprisingly, I'm going to go with Danny Reese, too. And I saw Danny Reese when he played at Banding High School. Uh, you know, Danny was an all-conference player at USC. He uh, was uh, a captain of USC uh his last year i think correct me if i'm wrong kevin yeah he and i were were the co-captains we were also also both honorable mention all america yeah and so and and so you know some people don't realize that uh danny because he's not generally a name that many people hear about was a third round draft pick uh for tampa bay and played uh a, a good number of years uh in the nfl uh obviously john mckay picked him uh, when John McKay went to Tampa Bay, and I think it worked out well at the time for both of them. Little note on Danny Reese. His father was a survivor uh, of Pearl Harbor and the uh, Arizona. He was on the ship that you see in Hawaii. Uh, that's always They always take you out there as part of the uh, naval uh, trip to the uh, you know, Pearl Harbor and the Arizona, but his dad was on it and survived the uh, Pearl Harbor attack. So uh, just kind of an interesting sidebar on him. All right. That'll be the last before we, time. Before we get off the corners, before yeah, we get off the yeah. corners, sure, sure. It's, sort of, it's sort of interesting. When you start to look at the different, uh, the different defensive positions, it, it's interesting to me how far below all of the other positions corner goes at USC. I, I mean, agree. You, you, you're talking about legendary figures everywhere else. Right. Everywhere else. And when you get to corner, we're talking about guys who were really good. I'm not trying to say they weren't, but not Junior Seau good, right? I mean, not, not Ronnie Lott good. I mean, we, I put Ronnie Lott as corner 
in part because there's there's so many great safeties at USC that I wanted to be able to to, to give those guys some love, uh, and part of it because uh, unlike a school like Florida State, for example, USC just doesn't have that sort of tradition at corner, um, and it's sort of interesting that it doesn't. I'm not sure why. You look at Pete Carroll's defenses. Pete Carroll had unbelievable guys at all three levels, um, some legendary players. And he had some good corners, but that's what he had. He had good corners. So it's sort of, it's sort of interesting to me that uh, that corner is so far behind just about every other position. That, that, was, that was the point I was going to make, and this will be the last time I ever defer to Chris because Greg will not let me ever answer a question ever again. So, um, yeah, not many people knew that Ronnie Lott started out playing cornerback at USC. And does not say him. I mean, there's a trophy named after him as a postseason award. So you, you have to give it to him. But two names that I, I think probably are two of USC's better cornerbacks, because as Chris just again pointed out, it's a position where that's, it's probably USC's weakest as far as, you know, all Americans and, and accolades and all that type of stuff that goes with it. But, you know, Joey Browner and, you know, Terrell Thomas before Dory Jackson was USC's highest drafted cornerback in the second round but i mean that's the when you put it in that type of context that's where it was where it is all right uh anything else you, anybody want to add on this and we'll, we'll go to the fourth quarter all right we start the fourth quarter and of course uh i think with my background this is always hard to do we learned that but uh look at that this is i don't even know if you can see this but we'll do this the lighting of the we, 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 we can't even see it. And well, it's, yeah, it's, wait a minute. It's a ghost. Well, now I know how they do it. You hold know, it right in front of your face. If you hold it right in front of your face, you'll be able to see it. Not the whole time. Just yeah, temporarily. Do, yeah, don't yeah. inhale. Just saying. Oh, my goodness. Good call, Chris Orledge. I'm there it is, our Coliseum torch. I dedicate I'm a technical this. consultant on this. I uh, am going to say that you have proved to me you are a jack of all trades. Yeah. Thank you very much. And on that note, I shall remove the torch into its stealth situation. And we will get on to the fourth quarter. But thank you, Chris. I, that was a good learning experience for me. Uh, let's uh, ask this question. Now, this really goes back to what we were all talking about. So the fourth quarter question is really a two-part question. Who is the greatest strong safety? Who is the greatest free safety of the modern USC football era? Uh, Mark, we'll let you start it off here. I'm gonna for strong safety. Ah, man, just because he was so violent and he had the ability to take out multiple players at one time. Uh, Taylor Mays, uh, I know he played back at free safety as well. And, and again, Troy, Troy Palomalu, where do you put him? Um, you know. Strong safety, uh, uh, man. T Taylor Mays, I, I think people will recognize him more as a free safety, right? Will, will we agree that with that? He was, free. He was definitely a free. Okay, I'll stick. Uh, I'll stick Troy up there at strong. All right. So your your uh, vote is for uh, Troy Polamalu. Troy Polamalu. Okay. Well, that you know that's a hard one to, to say. Doesn't deserve to be there, uh, Chris. You've been waiting for this. Yeah, uh, so 
I, I put Ronnie Lott in a different category so I could have these two guys as my, as my safeties. One of them is Troy Polo-Alu, um, who I think is the player that played most like Junior Seau that I've ever seen, uh, just in terms of um, relentlessness, unpredictability. The thing about, if you compare, if you compare Ronnie Lott to Troy Polamalu, one of the differences is that Troy Polamalu was unpredictable. You didn't necessarily know where he was going to be. You knew where Ronnie Lott was going to be. He was going to be in the exact right place every time. Troy Polamalu, you didn't always know where he was going to be. Sometimes that was good. Sometimes it was bad. Most of the time it was good. Uh, but he would, he would pop up in crazy places and just start causing destruction. Um, Interestingly, when I think about Troy Polamalu at USC, the play that I remember most, and, and Troy would hate this, I'm sure, was that punt return against Kansas State. Um, because Troy was a legitimately good guy and, and a nice person and off the field, uh, quiet and, and kind. Um, and he hit that K-State punt returner who was trying to fair catch the ball when the ball was probably still 15 yards over his head. And when I say he hit him, he almost cut him in half. I, it was one of the most violent plays I've ever seen. And I'm sure Polamalu is embarrassed about it now, but I can't get the play out of my head. It was just so extraordinary. First, that he hit the guy at all. And second, that the guy didn't die. Uh, but Troy Polamalu was, was unbelievable. I'll stop talking about him because I have a feeling I'm not the last one who's going to. So let me give you my other one. Mark Carrier. Okay. Mark Carrier was, was an unbelievable player, 87, 88, 89. Starts as a true freshman for USC. Um, ha has two picks against Troy Aikman uh, uh, in that come from behind upset uh, of the Bruins that puts USC in the Rose Bowl. Uh, 13 career interceptions. He goes to the NFL and he leads the NFL in interceptions as a rookie with 10. Uh, Mark Carrier, whose who's, um, who's safety companion, uh, Cleveland Coulter, uh, was pretty good too. But Mark, Mark Carrier was an extraordinary football player and probably doesn't get a lot of the credit he deserves because of some of the other great names that are out there. So those are my two. I'm going with, with Troy and Mark Carrier. All right, Kevin. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. And the, um, the distinction between free and strong is, uh, yeah, it's really uh, very subtle. And did you guys use nickel? Did you have a nickel in your in your day, Kevin? Yeah, they did have the forward pass. And yes, we did I play know, but what did you What did you call that extra safety? Yeah, we called him uh, nickel man. I mean, okay. you know, it was, you know, line up and you know where you're supposed to go so uh in terms of constantly running nickel that wasn't our bread and butter right so we had used for a, a quarters uh, coverage generally speaking um so that said that means with it we had a free and we had a strong and you know two corners so you didn't it wasn't a lot of confusion with respect to the nickel whether you had them in the box out of the box you know all that kind of stuff so that said um, in terms of free safeties and, and uh, guys that were uh, backbreakers, um, names that we haven't heard, I haven't heard in years is uh, T. Parker. Still, I believe, has a record for most interceptions at USC. 20 in his career. Hmm. 20. Uh, I don't know how many pick sixes he had, more than one. And uh, it, he was followed the next two years by Charlie Phillips, who 
uh, played a pretty good free safety as well. Uh, moved also both free and strong uh, and uh, had a, a, a probably a better suitability against the run than uh, T did. But T was, was, he could just, he took the ball there. You know, he could high point it. He could do all kinds of things. So he doesn't get a lot of love and doesn't get a lot of mentions. And I was going to mention Mark Carrier as well. Uh, here's a Jim Thorpe award winner. We've got two, Adore Jackson and uh, Mark Carrier. And he's that, he's that good. And made, made his mark uh, well. And I would uh, uh, put up uh, a, 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 a free and a strong of Mark and T. Parker. And I wouldn't apologize for that to anybody. All right. Uh, I want to mention before I give my brief bit here is uh, I want to make mention like for free safety, Mike Battle. Uh, was a tremendous uh, All-American, uh, unbelievable courage at about 170 pounds. By the way, T. Parker, full name Artemis Parker, uh, from Sacramento, California, about six foot four. Uh, tremendous, tremendous athlete. Charles Phillips, of course, believe it or not, came to SC as a quarterback and a safety. He was the quarterback uh, in the era of James McAllister and uh, Kermit Johnson eventually went into went to UCLA. Uh, I'm going to man up here for me and say that I, there's no question that uh, Troy Palomalo is right there as good as it gets. I have no problem with that. For purpose of naming one though, I'm going to put Ronnie Lott at strong safety for me uh, and free safety. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Mark Carrier as well. I thought Mark Carrier, uh, 1989, uh, Pac-12, uh, again, all-century team, first-round draft pick, Chicago Bears, but he was so mature when he came to USC. I know that he had to take care of his father, who was ill at the time, if I recall, and he was so mature compared to all the other players, and boy, what a hitter, and of course, Mark loved the game. Today, I believe he's, he's coaching in the NFL, uh, so uh, what, what a great what a great pair. I don't think that a lot of the names we mentioned, if, even if we didn't agree on some of them, uh, they were all worthy of being the guy, which, uh, which attests to, number one, how many great players that we all know have been at SC, and also shows on defense how SC could even ever be in the position that they're in today, which is a discussion for another time period. Yes, Chris. Can we, uh, so we don't get a bunch of nasty comments, we should at least mention the McDonald's father and son. Absolutely. Uh, to, and Cleveland know, culture too. Yeah, I did mention Cleveland, but but uh, you know Tim McDonald, T.J. McDonald, um, both great players. I'd probably give the nod to Dad over Son, as great as the Son was. Tim McDonald was an extraordinary football player, and 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 I remember um, probably in 1986, maybe Tim McDonald saving USC from what would have been a disastrous loss at Baylor catching a fumble in the air and running at hundred yards for a touchdown is really the difference in the game. But um, uh, I know we'll have people commenting if we don't get those names out there. So there they are. Before, Which by, by the way, before we move off that, uh, I played in a game where we had two intercepted fumbles for uh, return for touchdowns, one by Charlie Phillips and one by Danny Reese, both of whom I've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Very good. Where would you uh, guys put Jason Seahorn in this mix of uh, people in the secondary? Probably the best corner NFL cornerback for USC, but at USC, I mean, where do you, yeah, cornerbacks, free safety, where do you put them? 
I mean, he was a he was a corner, right? I mean, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing about about Jason Seahorn is that nobody expected him to be a corner for obvious reasons, right? I mean, he there hadn't been a white corner in the NFL for I don't know how long, and there hasn't been since Seahorn. Um, but that's what he was, and he was and he was an awfully good one. I don't know that I don't know that Jason Seahorn belongs in a conversation of legends, but he was a very good football player and uh, a trailblazer. Well, he's not a trailblazer because nobody followed him. He would have been a trailblazer if there was anybody uh, capable of doing what he did. He scored on and off the field. I'm not sure I want to touch that. We should. If you're uh, familiar with his wife, or well, his ex-wife now, yeah. Very famous actress. Actress, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now put that there. Put that in the I don't give a rip category for me. All right. That will be... uh, in the I don't give a rip category. All right, let's go to the overtime. Uh, we're in overtime, and we're going to take this overtime to answer our viewer questions. This is a free for all, so guys, uh, you know, the, just jump in if you feel you've got an answer or want to contribute. That and a reminder to our viewers and listeners: if you'd like to submit a question that we can answer here on Inside the Trojan Subtle, just go to either the Gary P or We RSC members message boards from there you'll see the topic thread regarding questions for inside the trojans huddle all right so let's get through this uh we've got some interesting questions here question number one from jcwusc in palm desert california two questions feel free guys to jump in what are the signs one would look for uh to see that there is a culture change in the program and two if you had to choose between ronnie lott and troy palomalo for your defensive backfield which one would you choose? We've kind of got to go over that, but out of respect from uh, for this question, uh, let's get some answers. For number one, uh, what are the signs you'd look for uh, that there is a culture change in the program? Go for it. All right, I'll jump in. Uh, I think that I think that you have to have more information than any outsider is going to is going to have in order to answer that question. Uh, about about a culture change. I don't doubt that there's a culture change going on because the culture over the last couple of years has been the worst of any USC program ever. So of course it's going to get better than that. But I think, I mean, you have to see whether guys are really committed. I mean, how hard are these guys working? Um, and and are they and are they working on a uh, on a daily basis? Do you have the whole team working that way? Um, that's part of it. The other part is. How are these guys going to respond to adversity? Because that's the other, that's the other important part of, uh, of football culture is what happens when you get punched in the mouth? It's going to happen. Uh, and, and are these guys, uh, are these guys going to bounce back and, and play harder and play well? I mean, the great teams do that. It wasn't unusual in Pete Carroll's day to, to have the other team drive down the field and score on the first possession of the game. It happened quite a bit, actually. It's just that by the end of his tenure, we knew it didn't matter, right? It was, it, you could say, it, okay, well, that's probably the only points I'll get until garbage time. And a lot of times it was uh, because those teams could get punched in the mouth and they would come back and hammer people. USC hasn't done that in a long time, but we're not going to know that until September or October. Yeah, I think you'll see it with the discipline. Um, you know, will players be staying on the sidelines longer than one play if they, you know, have a false start or jump off sides? And also, are you going to see, you know, former starters being replaced by younger players or portal transfers? 
I, I think that's going to be a, a telltale sign. But yeah, Chris is right. You won't know until Rice. Well, I'm not sure Rice is going to tell us everything we need to know. We'll see something, though. You're right. That'll give us some data points. Um, prior to that, uh, the data points really is practice observations, which are going to be limited. And frankly, uh, you know, try not to read too much into that. What I do look at is how many real football players is Lincoln Riley putting on the team and replacing some of the guys that we had that were not football players. It could have been good athletes. I don't care about good athletes as much as I care about good football players. And, and there oftentimes is a big difference. And, um, and that's part of what Chris was pointing at, which is, hey, look, uh, when, when it's the fourth quarter, are we going to be confident that we're just going to, like, we're taking this thing home? You know, we don't have to be up by 21 points in the fourth quarter to win by three, you know? Uh, nonsense. Uh, if we were down by two, we're coming back. If we're down by whatever, we're coming back. There's no quit in the team. And there's, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of uh, good, aggressive uh, football, even guys that are out of position or just, you know, you're making some mistakes. Well, you know what, sometimes that does happen or, you know, the offense is actually pretty good at scheming certain things, but do they play tough? Do they play through injury? That's the other thing that I just found mind-boggling is the amount of folks that are sitting on the sideline you know walking around hooping it and hollering and having a good old time and they're, they're they got their injury uh, uh jersey on i gotta tell you what that was a disgrace um for most of the years that that i've been familiar with the program that's got to stop and you know so those are some intangibles I'm not sure how you measure some of that some of it you can very much so We'll see more at spring a little bit. You know, we'll get a, some sense of it. Um, we'll see some in the um, fall. I don't know what we call fall camp. It's summer, but whatever. Uh, fall camp, we'll see some more. We'll see us. We'll get a starting lineup, and then we'll get a football game. And then we'll, we'll have a better idea of kind of where we are uh, with, with respect to tough guys. There's going to be more portal activity. So I think we all know that. And uh, there'll be, you know, new 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 folks coming on and uh, they may be one and done or two and done and okay, fine. So be it. If they can play football, I don't care. Play football. Come on, put on the Cardinal goal. Let's go, let's go get it on. Let's do it. All right. I'm, I'm going to say that we're already seeing culture change. Uh, we were saw it in the way the roster has been restructured already. Uh, I agree with uh, Kev that I think uh, you're going to see a lot more of it, especially after spring practice. You're going to see players coming, players going. That means new attitudes coming in, uh, players that want to be there. Uh, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I won't expound on what you guys said during the regular season. I think it's all, all correct. Uh, let me uh, put you on the spot here, guys. Uh, uh, JCWSC wanted to say, if you had to choose between Ronnie Lott and Troy Palomalu, what's your vote? Kevin, if you had to take one of the two. Ronnie Lott. Okay. Mark? Uh, Chris? You already know what I'm going to say. First of all, if you have to make that choice, what a great choice to have to make, right? Because if what you end up with is Troy Polamalu, um, Troy Polamalu is one of the greatest safeties of all time. First ballot Hall of Famer, unbelievable football player. Ronnie Lott is a football god. He is, he is the best safety who ever lived. And other than Lawrence Taylor, maybe the greatest defensive player I've ever seen. I take him. All right. I go with Lot. Let's go to question two. Uh, 
from Bang the Gavel 1911 in Houston, Texas. In addition to utilizing the transfer portal, do you know if Riley and his coaching staff are recruiting any elite JC offensive defensive linemen and linebackers? Uh, I will I will chime in on this. I know that they were recruiting two JC players. Uh, it was a question of whether they can get them into school. Uh, so that's kind of my knowledge of it. Uh, anybody else want to donate some information that they are willing to express? Mark? I don't have any information on that other than to say that, that getting JC players into USC has been difficult for a number of years. So Absolutely. it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, right. I, I see that the whole JC program fettering away sooner than later. The, um, with the transfer portal, there's no reason for, for coaches to have to go drop down to the JC level anymore. You want an experienced veteran player? They're out there playing division Division one football. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that the uh, wait for the portal rules to change and the JC will still be alive. Dying. It's dying. They're closing everywhere, Kevin. Right now they are, but the portal rules will change. They can't. The, the way this is working right now, it's just nuts. I hope you're right. That's just all I'll say. I hope you're right. All right. Question three from SC, the one in Orange County, California. He says, I know we haven't had even one practice yet, but your picks for starting Nickelback. Will Raylick practice with receivers or running backs? Which positions meeting will be will he be in? So let's take one step at a time. Uh, do we have any idea who the starting Nickelback will be? I'm going to go Max Williams. I agree. And I think Ray Leak is going to be shuffled between running back and wide receiver room. So he will be a major emphasis on offense, either with the ball or as a decoy. Let, let's, let's get to spring practice. <laughs> let's get him on campus. Well, one thing, one thing to remind people of Ray Leak Brown will not be in spring practice. Right, right exactly. He's going to come in in the fall. So uh, it becomes kind of a moot point as far as uh, uh, who would he practice with. I think he'll practice both spots. Uh, he's a fly sweep waiting to happen, right. uh, in my opinion. Uh, guys, Kevin, uh, Chris, any comment? Yeah, not, not, no, not really. I mean, look, these are these are uh, potentially very good uh, football players. You know, uh, we got a. a you know, young man who can do a lot of different things athletically, you know, how it transfers to the field, whether it's in the slot, in the backfield, through motion, fly sweeps, those kinds of plays, uh, motion and, and uh, you know, chip, uh, chip plays. Um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I can't, honestly, it's been so long, I can't remember what the first question is. So that's just, I'm getting old. <laughs> Who's going to so be the starting nickel? Uh, Max Williams, yeah. All right. The only thing I'd add is that these days there is not a sharp distinction between running back and wide receiver anymore. Um, teams throw the ball a lot. Everybody throws the ball a lot, including in high school. And especially smaller backs are used to uh, are used to being in the slot, running routes. If you watch what Red League Brown did in the All Star games in uh, in various seven on seven tournaments over the last couple of years, what you see is a guy 
who actually is pretty good as a route runner and, 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 a, and a ball catcher. But that doesn't mean he has to be out there all the time. He's also a guy you can put in the backfield. That's the great thing about a guy like Rayleigh Brown. You can move him around all over the place, and wherever you put him, he's a threat. So, I, you know, I, I don't know which team meeting he'll be in, but I'll say this. It doesn't really matter. He's going to line up in the backfield, and he's going to line up in the slot, and he's going to be all over the place, and he's going to get the ball in his hands. All right, question four from Gilbert, uh, Arizona Trojan. I assume he's from Gilbert, Arizona. <coughs> what happens to the players who entered the transfer portal but didn't find new homes? Are they allowed to participate in spring ball to earn, to maybe earn a spot back on the team? That is strictly up to Lincoln Riley. That's my understanding. Yeah, and I, I look at it this way. If, if I'm Gilbert, if the players are in the transfer portal, chances are they were encouraged to be in the transfer portal. Yeah, they're probably my... there. They're probably there for a reason. Right. All right. Uh, let's move on to our final question uh, from Puma in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, my question is, is, could the 2023 and 2024 class do for USC what the 2008 and 2009 class did for Alabama in parentheses dynasty builder or something to that extent. What do you think? Uh, gracious. Um, we've got some distance to cover to be in the same conversation as Alabama full stop and looking at some guys that are right now, 16 years old, 15 years old, as the potential, uh, you know, gap closure for, uh, you know, getting USC into the uh, CFP and banging it up against uh, Alabama and actually, you know, um, being competitive. I take that right now, um, given what I've seen in the past um, is, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I'd like to say, yeah, but who the, first of all, who, who the heck knows, but, but secondarily, uh, We've got some other fundamentals to cover that are frankly going to be more important than the recruiting classes as predicted by now, two years and three years out. I don't think those recruiting classes are what made Alabama. I mean, uh, Nick Saban has always been a very good recruiter, and now it's easy for him to recruit well because his program is, is so much better than, than everybody else's and has been for some time. Um, but what makes Alabama great is, uh, is Nick Saban's system and the coaching that the players get and the talent, right? I mean, it, it, say, can these two classes do, what, do for USC what happened to Alabama? What happened to Alabama is it became the greatest college football program of all time. <laughs> so if your question is, do I think it's likely that the 23 and 24 classes will vault USC into becoming the greatest football program of all time? My answer would be probably not. But Lincoln Riley is recruiting some really talented football players. The team's going to be a lot better coached. I'm at this point willing to settle for something less than the greatest program of all time if I have to. And that would be the best program in the Pac-12 on a team that competes for, for Burris in the playoffs. I think he's probably going to be able to do that for us. Whether he's going to unseat Nick Saban, geez. First, I think it's first things first. And I, I'm with Chris on that. Look, we should dominate the Pac-12, which would, first of all, help the ratings of the Pac-12 network, which, like, sucks. Um, and, uh, frankly, that's uh, – I hate to say it's our heritage. It's, it's only our heritage if we make it so. 
but let's go make it so. That's the starting point. That's those are the controllables. Beat everybody who's on our schedule. That's a controllable. What happens thereafter? What goes into the CFP and this and that? Hey, look, it, you know things happen and things happen, right? But who's ever on the schedule, whoever we're you know we line it up across, go beat them, and then have confidence in that, and then we'll go see what happens with if we happen to run into an Alabama along that journey. Mark, you got something to add? Yeah, I was going to say the the question was or something to that extent. Yeah, you know. If Lincoln Riley can have the 2023 and the 2024 class be a class of, you know, ranked all-stars in conjunction with, you know, the transfer portal, sure, you know, Lincoln Riley can start building to something that Alabama already has. If that's the question, sure, there's a possibility. But again, we're, we're forecasting the future. And again, you know, Nick did this before the transfer portal. Now he's got an extra tool in his shed to, you know, he, he can take an Elias Ricks from an LSU and he's recruited a, a five-star, a five-star cornerback for one season. And that's a stopgap for the 2023 kid. So yeah, it's what Kevin was talking about. We're not, we're not, USC is nowhere close to there, but it's going to start with recruiting and it's going to really start with, the staff surrounding Lincoln Riley. Chris, did you want to add anything? No, I've said all I need to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll say this, that uh, when you start talking about uh, getting to a certain level uh, of elites, uh, obviously we know that the class of 2023 has got three or four, uh, five stars already on it, but none of them are linemen. Until I see offense and defensive linemen that are high quality linemen, uh, yes, I, I I agree that they need to uh, win the Pac-12. But when you start talking and you start throwing Alabama's name in there, and even currently Georgia's name in there, and a few others, you know, you could have the greatest five-star quarterback or what have you, wide receiver, running back. It's all going to be neutralized at some level when you finally hit those teams that have those four and five star linemen and depth of linemen. So I would say currently uh, let's just watch the recruiting unfold. I think they'll have a great well-rounded class for 2023. And it's a beginning. It's just like Pete Carroll had a beginning. Uh, And I think all Trojan fans should be grateful that if Lincoln Riley can bring up the quality of talent to the point where we can be in discussion of playing and competing against the Alabamas and the Georgias and what have you. So uh, it's an interesting question and uh, only time will tell. A reminder, if uh, you have a question for our panel, go to either of the USC message boards, click on the thread that pertains to the inside the Trojan Subtle viewer or listener questions. So that's a wrap for this edition of Inside Trojan Subtle. A big thank you to this week's panel of Mark Culkin, Chris Arledge and Kevin Bruce. And a big thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Subtle. So until next Tuesday, this is your host, Greg Katz, reminding all of you to fight on, everybody.